you're listening to this, you're a mortgage professional who's probably wanting to scale your business. After 12 years of being in the trenches as a mortgage pro and nearly 180 interviews with top-performing loan officers and mortgage brokers, I've distilled the best ideas, strategies, and tactics into an eight-week program called the $25 million Blueprint. If you're wanting to take your business from $10 million a year to 20, or if you want to go from 25 to 50, this is the program that will help you scale. Step-by-step, we're going to show you exactly what the pros have done so that you can get there too. Go to mortgageblueprint.io to find out more. That's mortgageblueprint.io. I Love Mortgage Brokering, episode 83. Want to learn from the top 5% of mortgage brokers in the country? Then you have come to the right place. Join Scott Peckford on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hi, Broker Nation. I am thrilled to introduce our guest today, Jamie Moy. She's been a broker for 12 years. She's with DLC Mortgage Negotiators based out of Langley, BC. The cool thing about Jamie is she actually ran her business from Mexico for two years, which is insane. I'm absolutely pumped for this interview today. If you ever thought about wanting to work remotely, you're going to want to listen to this. Jamie, are you ready to rock? I am. Awesome. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your business? Well, like you said, I've been a broker for uh, 12 years, uh, work out of the Langley area, got into business 2003, I guess it was. I uh, had an awesome situation of a really good friend of mine who was in brokerage and we started talking about it and you know, I was like, what's a mortgage broker? And um, she invited me to come and work with her based on the fact that I had no idea how to use a fax machine. And so I was with Diana Zitko for about a decade and learned everything that I knew there. It was an awesome, awesome experience and hang my hat with mortgage negotiators now and it's great. So what did you do before somebody roped you into the mortgage business? Uh, at the time I was going to school, um, but before that I had actually moved out to uh, Vancouver to pursue education as a recording engineer. And I worked in the music business for, for a while. Okay. So like, yeah. what, what is the recording, just out of curiosity, what is that somebody who like sits in one of those rooms where you record uh, exactly. music and mixes it? Yeah, and... totally. You're the person that pushes all the buttons. And so you it's... make Britney Sears sound like she can sing. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It was not my cup of tea. It was not, it was not what I was destined to do. Right. That's awesome. Put it that way. Uh, yeah. So before we dive into your story, I'd always like to ask about a success quote that's really had an impact on your life or business. Can you share mm-hmm. a quote that's really impacted you? Because I find quotes are portable, they're memorable, and they kind of, for me anyways, yeah. they help me stay on track because I'm so easily distracted that a, a good quote keeps me focused. So what's your quote that's really impacted you? Probably the main one, what I always have hanging on my wall is uh, Henry Ford. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. That's definitely everything comes from within. If you think you can do it, then you can get it done. So how have you applied that? I love that quote. I love Henry Ford quotes. Mm-hmm. And so how have you applied that quote to your business? So this, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. Well, I mean, I think the biggest example is picking up and moving the business to Mexico. I mean, that's a pretty kind of out of the box idea to try and pursue. And I, I mean, definitely, if I was of the opinion that it couldn't be done or there was no way to make it happen, it wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, strong sense of belief and put some action behind it, you can get anything done that you need to. Right. If you did, if you had off the mindset that this is not going to work, then you would have been looking for ways for it not to work. So, uh, oh, of course. One of the things that are, what I wanted to connect with you, I'd heard great things about you, but this whole I've done eighty plus interviews and I have not met anybody mm-hmm. who has has this unique story. So, tell me about mm-hmm. what prompted uh, you deciding to look at you know working remotely, and and then I'm going to ask you about sort of how you managed to pull that off. 
Yeah, it was a couple of years ago and I had an amazing situation in Langley. My business was doing great and I had gotten into a storefront and everything was awesome. But what I really found was the clients that I was attracting were these millennials that, you know, they, they're busy. They're really, really busy people and they have kids and they have jobs and they've got soccer practices and all this kind of stuff. And so doing the face-to-face meetings weren't as much of a priority for them. And I found less and less I was using my office. And mm-hmm. so my partner and I started talking about, you know, was I going to move my office home? And basically from moving the office home, the question came up, well, if you're not doing these face-to-face meetings, if they're not as significant for the client, why does home have to be in Langley? And Mm -hmm. we'd talked for years about moving abroad and was there a way to sort of incorporate all these things together and go, you know, live on, live on the beach for a few years. So home doesn't have to be somewhere in a suburb in Langley. It can be Mm -hmm. in Mexico. Okay. So you had this idea, great. I'm going to go from a storefront because it doesn't matter to them if they meet with me. In fact, it's more of an inconvenience. And so Mm -hmm. what was the process like? Did you just pack up and go? Did you plan it for a long time? Like what did that look like? It was definitely some planning. I wouldn't say that we planned it for months and months and months, but definitely for six months. One of the big things was that we had to figure out where we were going to go. My partner's father is actually from Fiji. So we started taking a look at, okay, well, should we go to the Fiji Islands? Uh, We've always wanted to live in Europe, but things like time zone, right? I don't Mm want to be working at four in the morning. We needed a place that was going to have really awesome infrastructure. So, I mean, when you get into smaller islands... I would never think that Mexico would be... I mean, maybe I'm just naive, but I would never think... Mexico would be that. You know, I don't know if they're a leader in any way, but I mean, they've got a really, really solid national uh, phone and internet company, which is Telmex. And it's basically the same as TELUS, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're like West Coast or whatever, I mean, it's, you know, a high-end internet quality, um, all of that. So because I work off of a VoIP phone, because everything that I'm going to be did down there and still do here is all internet-based, that was huge. So we wanted to make sure that, you know, that was something that, was in place that we weren't going to get down there and be like, oh my God, none of my technology works. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, I don't want to be paralyzed. And we want to be able to be within about a day's travel of coming home. You know, something goes sideways, people are calling you saying you got to get back here for whatever reason. So Playa del Carmen, Mexico, I mean, it's 45 minutes south of Cancun. Um, that's a major international airport. You can do direct flights back and forth from Vancouver several times a week it was the perfect place for where we wanted to be because you're on the Caribbean Sea as well. Right. And so what's the time zone difference then between there and Langley? Because it it's can't be the same time zone. No, you're about two hours off. They actually had a bit of a change when we were down there and they moved some of their, their time zone. So now it's usually three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, a two hour difference is not a big deal. You know, nine o'clock in Langley was 11 o'clock in the morning in Playa. So I would be able to get up, get working and usually get like three hours of work in before anybody was even up in Vancouver, which was a huge advantage to be able to get through work a lot more quickly and and with focused time that, you know, the phone's not ringing off the hook. And so did your phone line then, so it was a Vancouver, a Langley phone number that rang yep. when you sat on your computer in Playa? Absolutely. Yeah. 604 number, same number that I've had for like a decade or whatever. Right. That's so awesome. We have a VoIP phone mm-hmm. system. It's definitely very flexible. And yeah. so what was the biggest challenge of going to working remotely like that? Like, you, did you have an assistant that was up here or did you just do everything? Like, how did that work? 
I pretty much do everything myself. I have an unlicensed assistant. So mm-hmm. for things that need to be mailed out or sort of like those personal touch things, you know, the closing gifts and stuff like that, I have somebody in Langley that does that for me. But probably, I mean, the biggest challenge was, was it going to work, right? Because mm-hmm. it's one thing to, you know, be able to meet with your client and, you know, have that personal relationship developed from sitting across from each other. But knowing that I was going to be eliminating that completely Mm -hmm. um, was, you know, it's a little bit scary, but I have a religious practice of I phone each of my clients every six months. And I've actually been doing that for several years, long before we went away. And I found that that was one of the most powerful things because I didn't have to be sitting down with these people. We were having those conversations over the phone and they were expecting that that mm-hmm. was going to happen. So that ended up working out, thankfully, very well. I, I love that idea. And uh, something that we've started implementing in our office a little while ago, I should have, I've been doing this 10 years and everybody says you need to, you know, and anyway, how do you frame that? I meet, I don't meet you. First time we, I become your customer, how are you mm-hmm. going to explain to me that I'm, you're going to talk to me every six months or do you just do it and not tell them? It's a little bit of both. I definitely tell them when we're setting the mortgage up that you're going to see your financial advisor, you know, hopefully at least once a year and you're going to see your accountant at least once a year. So as your broker, our relationship doesn't stop just because there's a mortgage in place. It keeps going. And my job is to manage this for you and to be your assistant in making these financial decisions. So I'm going to be keeping in touch with you. I want them to know that they can reach me anytime about anything. I mean, whether it's you know, changing the bank account that their payments come out of or increasing a payment or whatever it is. I want them to come to me first and not go to their lender. And so by just having that dialogue constantly of like, you know, this is where I am, come to me. And uh, I do tell them, you know, like I'm going to be in touch with you. I call my clients and uh, hey, I'm calling happy mortgage anniversary. And, you know, they laugh and then we have our chat. So they've grown to expect it now. How much has that impacted the number of referrals and repeat clients you think? I think it's huge. I think it's absolutely huge. I mean, growing the business, what you really want is for it to come from referrals. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's ideal is that, you know, every time you pick up and call a new client, they know who you are. It's warm. They're not intimidated by offering you personal information. So having that personal relationship with the clients, it just gives them the comfort that they can hand your name over. It's been a huge thing. I mean, I definitely get internet leads and, you know, get clients that way. But the referrals are the best way to do it. Right. What percent would you get, like, just estimate that your business is from that referral base or past clients? I would say probably about 80% of my clients are Mm -hmm. 80, 85. So past client referrals or past clients coming back for, you know, like second home purchase, refi, renewal, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and probably 15 to 20% is coming online stuff. Right. So do you work with any realtors? To be honest with you, no. Right. Um, I have like one realtor that will kind of bat some stuff back and forth. I don't know what it is in 12 years. I've just never really gotten into that whole realm of working with any realtors overly seriously. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a great way to get business. But I think that what ended up happening in the past was that realtors, their business is cyclical. And I think, I mean, ours definitely is, but theirs is pretty dramatically cyclical. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you go through periods where they're in a dry spill and you're not hearing from them. And then, you know, there's somebody else and it just, the long answer is no, I don't really work with realtors. Right. But hey, if you got, if it's working and you're, you know, you're doing Mm -hmm. a volume that you're happy with, that doesn't matter. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So I think it's an awesome story that the, the whole example of doing things differently, you're obviously still doing mortgages, but we don't have to always do it the way that, you know, we think. And um, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty excited by that. I think it's uh, cool. And I, I'm off air. I'd love to chat with you more about some of the technology stuff that you do. Cause uh, I'm, a bit of a, I'm a bit of a nerd that way too. Well, I'm it's not honestly that you're a nerd. pretty simple. Yeah. I'm, I'm not that nerdy. And that's the thing is that it's all really straightforward stuff. It's, there's nothing really magic. You're probably doing the bulk of it now, honestly. Right. So I also like to ask about failure. So can you share something that you failed at, but looking back, there was a lesson in it for you? I think the biggest mistake I ever made in my business was uh, staff related. You know, they say that you're supposed to hire slow and fire fast and doing the opposite of that or not paying attention has definitely bitten me in the past. Having the right people and the right team around you is so huge, regardless of what their role is, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of what they're doing. Definitely, I've learned the lesson the hard way of making sure that who you've got in your corner is who's supposed to be there and that they're they're invested and they're interested and that they genuinely care about what's happening with the business. Right. And so do you have staff right now or do you run like a... I have, yeah, I have an unlicensed assistant. So all of the broker stuff, all of the client, you know, one-on-one stuff, I deal with all of that myself. I totally agree. For me too, hiring has always been a challenge. I, I hired the first person, mm-hmm. whatever they come to my office, pretty much. I'm like, you're hired. And then uh, it usually turns <laughs> into a big catastrophe. So uh, the yeah. last person that we hired, I actually got my wife to interview with me because I'm like, I know that my judgment is not very good. And uh, yes. <laughs> we have, in my opinion, we have the best assistant that we've ever had. And it was a lot mm-hmm. to do with the fact that we just had a better, you know, another set of eyes instead of just my tendency to be like, yeah, let's do it. For sure. Uh, totally, totally feel the same way. <laughs> so I've noticed talking to successful brokers that they have systems and processes for their business. They don't just sort of hope for the, they don't show up and hope for the best. Um, and I want to ask about an administrative process, maybe that wasn't working the way you were hoping or liked, and then a, a change you made. Definitely going paperless. That was a big thing. I mean, having the office, we had so many filing cabinets full of paperwork that, I mean, our broker files, they were certainly organized to the best that we could get them organized, but it was, you know, it was a big mess. And so we brought in a company actually from Richmond that scanned all of our files and named all of them, dated all of them so that I could go back and, you know, pull things up. And like, basically we have everything in Dropbox in PDF form. So mm-hmm. if a client gave us a consent or gave us ID from, you know, whatever, five, seven years ago, it's all there. That was a big thing, changing over and making everything fully paperless. The paper thing was not working. It was not fun to deal with. And this is way, way smoother. Mm-hmm. So do your clients still, do they sign like on a, a digitally or do they print, most people print and send them back? Like what's the... Yeah, it's mostly printing. The lenders typically don't like the e-signatures. The re- real estate agents can, can do all that, but we've, I found with the lenders, they're not a big fan of it. So what I tell them when we're going to do our conference call, you know, it's going to take approximately 30 minutes, give or take. Please have all of this paperwork printed out and ready so that as we're reviewing each page, you can sign an initial. Um, and then I have them scan it back to me and they retain that copy for their records. Right. So you actually do like a virtual signing essentially where you, they print and you walk them through everything. That's good. Yeah, exactly. So I send everything to them beforehand with a breakdown of what we'll be going through. Mm -hmm. And then we have the meeting. Um, A lot of times they'll go through it beforehand with any, you know, specific questions and then we'll, you know, bang out going through all the paperwork and then they can just send it back to me. Right. Yeah, that's good. 
Um, and then on the sales side, so sales and marketing obviously is part of our business. And can you share an example of something in, in maybe your sales or your marketing process that wasn't working as well as you would like, and then a change that you made in the outcome you got? I think that just client communication and how, I mean, like, honestly, I went for years without following up with any of my clients. You know, you mm -hmm. do the deal and kind of forget about them and that was it. And so mm -hmm. I started to put in place a series of logs that are from everything from like anniversary dates to, you know, conversations I have with them, all of our mailing addresses, all of client, all client birthdays. And I use Excel for all this, which is honestly like the worst program ever. If you want to know how to use Excel, don't ask me because I just totally fake it. But having the ability to go in and see what the last conversation was I had with a client, just in, you know, small point form, mm -hmm. what we discussed, what they needed, that changed a lot. And when we started, when I started to do every six months in the phone calls, it's just, it's so much information and to have it all in one place is mm -hmm. amazing. Right. I mean, it doesn't have to be complicated as long as you use it, right? I mean, there's tons yeah. of tools and programs and, and mm -hmm. CRMs, but people that have them and don't use them, it's kind of pointless. At least with a yeah. Excel spreadsheet, you can just sort by you know, birthdays. Yeah. Do you do anything with the birthdays? No, we send out birthday cards. Um, okay. I actually, it's funny, I had a client call me just this week who uh, was like, hey, we need a new mortgage. I got my birthday card, so let's set this up. <laughs> like, So it, it definitely does work. Right. Yeah. It's definitely another, not an easy way to stay in touch. So. Yeah. And uh, it's something, I mean, it's administrative, so it's not as though I'm doing it. Um, right. You know, like I have, my assistant is doing that and that's a part of, you know, part of her communication stuff that she puts together for the clients. Mm -hmm. So I've noticed there's a recurring theme talking to brokers about the idea of diversifying your income, you know, cross selling other products mm -hmm. and it seems to be two camps. One says, no, just stick to mortgage broker. Another camp says, no, you should be doing, you know, selling more. I just wanted to know which camp you fell in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I'm kind of down the middle of it. I believe in being a specialist in what you do. So like, I'm not going to be getting an insurance license or, or anything like that. I mean, we have the opportunity to sell MPP, you know, the mortgage protection plan. It's a good product in some situations and really not in others. Mm -hmm. So, and I've got, you know, a couple of great referral partners specifically in life insurance and in, um, you know, content insurance, fire insurance. It really depends on the situation, but I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of, you know, do something and do it well. And, mm -hmm. you know, stick to that thing. Yeah, that's, that's probably where I lean right now. I sort of always go back. I mm -hmm. kind of waffle back and forth. But I'm only doing mortgages. So it's not like I've really done, I've pursued anything other than just brokering. Yeah, I would hate to dilute what I'm doing now by trying to learn something else. I mean, for years, people would ask me to do commercial financing. And I always referred it out. And I mean, to me, that's a whole other bike you got to ride. That's, mm -hmm. you know, a whole different thing from residential. So I've sort of stuck with what I know. And thankfully, it's worked well. Right. I like that. A whole other bike to ride. I've never heard it described that way. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to move to the rapid fire questions. So these you can answer with short answers if you like. What's the number one thing holding back most mortgage brokers from being successful? I think mentoring. If there was more of a mentoring system in place for younger brokers, I think that they'd have a lot more success a lot more rapidly. Did you have mentors? I did. I grew up in the Diana Zitko school of brokerage and got all my tricks of the trade from there. Right. It was integral. I, I honestly, brokers that start out now, I, I don't even know what I would have done if I had to try and figure everything out by myself. When mm -hmm. you've had somebody that's already been in the trenches, that have, they've already seen this deal, there's a, you know, an idea of where it's going to go and how it should be presented mm -hmm. that cuts years of training off, years of you know, 
failing and flopping around, right? Right, totally. You should be short. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. The, the, the process to become a mortgage broker is a little bit, seems broken to me as well. I totally agree. So if you could recommend one book for listeners, what would it be? The Four Hour Work Week, Tim Ferriss. That was uh, everything course. that we, uh, yeah, everything that I looked at for moving away, so much of it was based on that book. That gets five gold stars. Right. Where do you think our industry is headed? Where's the opportunity? I don't really know where we're going with this. What I really hope is that as an industry, we uh, get a lot better at educating the consumers about what we do because we need the borrowers to really know what we're doing. I've been around long enough that there were so many charters that ended up getting out of the broker arena. I mean, back in the day, HSBC and BMO were lenders we could work with. Mm -hmm. and, I remember um, that. So, you know, we've, we've shrunk in the sense of some of the charters and then, you know, monolines have come in. But I think that if we can start to become more relevant and if we can, you know, just like what you're saying, bring legitimacy to the industry, like how financial advisors have done it, like how accountants do it, and mm -hmm. not just be the one-off transaction for the client, but really try and build a book of business, you know, and I mean, that could get into a little thing about trailers and everything else. But I mean, really, the opportunity here is for us to legitimize our industry in a major way. Right. Okay. Since you brought it up, what's your, on trailers, what's your take on, is it something that you would, would, would you pursue or you don't pursue? Like what's your, um, it's something that I haven't honestly, not in any serious way. I love the idea of it. I mean, I remember, I think it was McCory that came in years ago and they had trailers and the concern that I had was they come into the industry and then they leave, which is actually what ended up happening. I love the idea of it. And if we could build something that, you know, our books of business are, are worth something, you know, it's mm -hmm. not just a list of names and phone numbers. And, you know, if, I mean, if I kick off, there's no money to be made out of my business. Right. right. So it would be awesome if we could get to that point, but you know, that's something that the lenders are going to have to decide or something that we're going to have to, you know, strong arm them into. And I, you know, I have no idea. I'm, I'm not sitting at the, the table with the president's, having that conversation. So I don't know what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. So this is the last question. One of my favorites is the DeLorean question. Remember the movie Back to the Future? Absolutely. So in the DeLorean, you can get it, set the time and travel in it. You know that actually that October 21st, 2015 is the day that uh, he traveled forward to. So in the future. No way. Yeah. Yeah. That's like really soon. <laughs> right so like, on. If, once people Whoa. listen to this, it would have already happened. It's totally awesome. So I'm, uh, Sweet. I'm a big you know, I like the old movie. So if you could get into the DeLorean, travel back 12 years, and you could sit down and have a conversation with yourself, and you could say, Jamie, these three things mm -hmm. you must do to, to, to have a, a better successful business, what three things would you tell yourself? Probably the first thing is that it's okay to fail. If you screw it up, it's okay. You're going to get another shot. You're going to learn something from it. Definitely. And I think probably the other big thing is be your authentic self. Because I think that clients relate to that a lot better. People in general relate to it a lot better. You go a lot farther if you're just grounded in who you are. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, when I started in this industry, I was young. Like, I think I was like 23 or something. Mm -hmm. So you're still learning at that age who you, who you are. But just follow your gut. Go with it. It'll, it'll work itself out. Okay, that's good. And then what was the third thing? Do you have a third one? Read as much as you can. Self-educate as much as you possibly can. Don't self-medicate. Um, well, unless you have to, but self-educate. Actually, that <laughs> sounds so similar. Self-educate over self-medicate. <laughs> <laughs> that could be like a book, you know, self-educate. It could. You, you could probably go a long way with that title. Definitely yeah. get some readership. I'm going to get the domain right now. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, well, this has been an awesome interview. I really appreciate your time. Where can people find you online? 
Just at jamiemoy.com. And that's M-O-I. Anybody else listening can it go to ilovemortgagebrokering.com. We'll have links to everything that we chat about, plus links to Jamie. Jamie, I really appreciate this, and I hope you continue to crush it. Right on. Thank you very much for having me.